Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Conversations on Dance is generously supported by Yumiko. The Yumiko Heather Collection is now available. The Heather Collection is made from a high-performance fabric that features a settled flecked color effect. This ready-to-wear collection offers nine styles of leotards and four color options, including gray, pink, blue, and purple. If you haven't yet seen this newest collection, you have to click around yumiko.com to see these gorgeous looks for yourself. Stay up to date on everything Yumiko by following them on Instagram at Yumiko and at Yumiko World. This episode of Conversations on Dance is sponsored by the Kennedy Center. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we are joined by Monica Stevenson, Associate Head of School at the Washington School of Ballet Southeast Campus. Monica is originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina. She is a graduate of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts and the professional training program at the Houston Ballet Academy. In 2002, she received her first professional contract with the Washington Ballet. From there, she went on to perform with the Dance Theater of Harlem Ensemble from 2003 to 2005 before joining the Los Angeles Ballet as an inaugural season company member. Monica was previously a member of the education staff at American Ballet Theater as both a teaching artist and the project coordinator for Project Plie, an initiative to increase diversity in classical ballet. Today we talk with Monica about her career, her passion for teaching, and the amazing work being done at the Washington School of Ballet. So thank you for coming over, Monica, today to chat with us. This is an impromptu interview, but we've been wanting to have you for a while, so I'm glad it worked out. Yes, I am so excited. I think the world of you two and how you've transitioned into having, you know, your own podcast, something that really celebrates dance and keeps you all so inspired in all of us. So That's thank you. Well, we're, we're excited to have you on. We had... um. We are presently in Washington, D.C., uh, doing our work with the Kennedy Center, and you live here. And last time we were in D.C., 
with at the Kennedy Center, we had a great conversation that was really what sparked um, Rebecca and, and my idea that we needed to have you on the pod. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll, we'll start covering some of those topics we talked about last time. Okay. But let's just start at the beginning, as we always do, uh, asking um, how you became interested in dance and ballet and, and got your start uh, training. Sure. Um, so I'm from Fedville, North Carolina, um, which is a military town um, where Fort Bragg is. And so it's um, a city in North Carolina that, it, I mean, it's small. It's smaller than Raleigh and Charlotte, but it's not a tiny town. And so there were some options for studying dance. Um, and my mom and her sisters did ballet when they were younger, just on Saturday mornings. Right. And so, of course, when I was four, you know, my mom thought, okay, it's time <laughs> time for me to give it a shot. And she expected me to, again, just go on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be that, you know. Um, so I fell in love with it immediately. Um, I trained with a woman named Dorothy Davis. She was my first ballet teacher, and she owned a school called Academy of Dance Arts. And because it was a military town, there would always be like former professional ballet dancers that would somehow make their way to mm-hmm. Fedville, North Carolina. Um, and then Miss Dorothy happened to be an alum of the North Carolina School of the Arts. Oh, wonderful. Um, and so after training there, it was really, honestly, a, a competition dance school. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So even though she had this professional background um, training at NCSA and, and had, you know, some good faculty members, mm-hmm. we were still going to like showstoppers mm-hmm. and all of these types awesome. of competitions, <laughs> um, right. you know, down in Myrtle Beach, yeah. you name it, we went. Um, and so I did tap, jazz, lyrical, all the of whole that. Thing. The whole gamut. Right. Um, point, you know, you name it, we did it on a towel floor, you know. Oh so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think she kind of recognized that I had a knack mm-hmm. for this. And um, I remember early on her talking about the North Carolina School of the Arts. And, you know, she took a whole group of us up mm-hmm. to do a master class day. And, you know, we uh-huh. took ballet and modern, stayed for the day, came back, you what know. Was, what was that like for you kind of coming from a, a smaller school? We all started in like a smaller local school, right? And then going to somewhere like North Carolina that School of the Arts. That is esteemed. What was your, yeah, what was your impression of that? Well, one, just how incredible the dancers were, right. you know, to see kids not much older than you training at that next level. Yeah. I mean, right. that's what stood out to me totally. was just how incredible they were. Yeah. And um, I knew early on that I needed to go to that school. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was 11, I auditioned for the summer program okay. because I knew you could go starting at 12. Uh-huh. And so my mom got me there really early. And unfortunately, I was number one. <gasps> and so anyone that has ever been to an audition knows you don't want to be number one. <laughs> That's so good. So I remember, you know, being the first one at the bar and it was facing the door. And so if I didn't know the combination, I had mm-hmm. to like, you know, it's like 
anxiety, you know, yeah. so you're like looking behind you trying to Aww. follow. Um, and so that was my first audition mm-hmm. experience. And somehow they took me. Um, and so from there, I started going every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when I was going into my freshman year of high school, of course, the natural thing was, well, I want to go for the school sure. year. Right, right. Um, and so I started there in ninth grade during the year. So uh, who was, was on faculty at that point? Who were your major teachers? Oh, gosh. Well, for ballet, we had Melissa Hayden. Of course. Um, <laughs> and so everyone in my generation has been trained by Melissa Hayden. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, you don't realize, you know, how special yeah. that is. And so in the moment. You, yeah, when you're so young, you just can't appreciate yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't hit you that right. this was a balancing ballerina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're learning rep that only she can teach. Yeah. You know, you just don't Things think that. Things that were made like for her that. body. Yes. Was yeah. there was there a time in your career where you were like, oh my gosh, like kind of when it clicked that like Melissa Hayden was who she was and how special it was to work with her? Did it come kind of come later? Definitely. Yeah. You know, I think even now I saw a photo of Melissa Hayden on the New York City Ballet Instagram recently. Like even now. You feel so connected. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but we had, you name it, from Nina Danilova, um, who is st- not on the faculty mm-hmm. anymore, but still involved. Um, mm-hmm. Duncan Noble, Frank Smith, Dana Fox, Finn Sean Cordell. You know, some mm-hmm. of them still are teaching me. Right, 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 right. Do you have any fun stories about Melissa Hayden? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I think we all have stories. Yeah. But, I mean, she was just, y- yes. Um, I think one of the things that stood out was just, you know, how strong she was even in her older age. Mm -hmm. I mean, she would lift up her stomach in or her shirt, excuse me, and pat her stomach, say, see how hard that is. See how firm that is. You know, and, you know, it's just you, you don't really have that level sometimes of passion right, still. Right. Um, and she just really did. She never lost that. Right. You know. Gosh, so she would have, I mean, she would have been approaching 80. Is that right? She was, Gosh. let's see, I know she retired when she was 50 in 1973. So. How do you know these things? Because it's in your brain. You. <laughs> she would have been at least late 70s. Yeah. And yeah. she was still just. Showing off that yes, <laughs> wow. yes, even yeah. down to when her health started declining a little bit, you know, she was still teaching. She at one point would teach with her oxygen tank. Oh wow! wow. You know, I mean, she was so passionate about teaching mm-hmm. and passing on the ballets. And oh my gosh, yeah. well, really we special. will return to that element of how that's influenced your teaching later but let's continue on (laughs) and then talk about your professional career what you started to do after you were done with your time there um yes so my senior year of high school I stayed for the year at Houston Ballet Academy Mm -hmm. so every summer while I was at NCSA I would go to Houston Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so my senior year, I only had two academic courses left. Right. So I ended up staying for the year uh -huh. at Houston uh -huh. and then going back and graduating with my class at oh, NCSA. Nice. Um, so I did the professional training program at Houston Valley Academy for two years. And then my first job was actually with the Washington Ballet. Um, so when I was looking to audition and, you know, after you've trained for a while, I think at that point I was going to turn 19. You uh -huh. think, yeah. okay, I've got to got to do it. Leave the nest yeah. and, yes, if I'm not yeah. getting a job here, I've got to get a job somewhere. Right. Um, and my uncle, uh, my uncle Fred lived here in D.C. He was um, in the military working at the Pentagon. Wow. And my mom was like, well, go stay with him audition it was a catacall audition and so septim gave me my first job septim weber yes yes and i'm just so grateful you know um it's so hard to get that first job um yeah and so especially in a cattle call audition that's crazy mm -hmm. yes very few people can say they've done that i think you I've know, for, yes. me, <laughs> for me as a dancer, See, very few. I always, I think both of my, maybe all three jobs all that I've had companies from, from were from cattle calls. You were slaying auditions. You were really did, good at auditioning. I felt I did better at cattle calls than going to take company class. Interesting. That's so interesting. I think sometimes when you take company class, you're trying to figure out, is it okay to stand yeah. here? Yeah. You're, you know, in the back, you're trying to be respectful of everybody else in the company. You know, this mm -hmm. is their company. That's um, an interesting so. point. I never, I never thought of that. I, I don't know. I I think I hated both options in equal measure. <laughs> Not, neither are very fun. Well, I, yes. <laughs> I never enjoyed auditioning. Oh. I wonder if it was because you were number one for your first audition. <laughs> I had a bad PTSD. first experience. <laughs> but then you decided to just like slay it at every single one after that. That's but incredible. <laughs> that was my first job. And, you know, Really, it was the start of what is now the Washington Ballet Studio Company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel like our generation was kind of like that first generation where companies started having the training and then the da da da. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have rules set up for it. Right. Yeah. Right. We How just, long you can stay there? Yes. Yeah. We were. Did we talk about that on our podcast with Zoe or not? Maybe Zoe and I. It, it was just very uh, fleeting, but we could yeah. talk about it a little bit. No. Yeah. I think yeah. that that what you're totally right about that. That that was the moment because it was right after 9-11 too then they really started to just pack in those extra levels to yes. keep the company afloat i mean they yeah. needed the dancers but i mean this is and we're not just talking about ballet we're talking about everywhere oh, yeah. um yeah. it was I did a three years under quarter ballet absolutely it, it happened to a lot of us mm -hmm. yes <laughs> we as soon as we were graduating yeah the whole dynamic mm -hmm. shifted. Right. Um, and so basically there were four of us, four girls. Mm -hmm. We were trainees. Mm -hmm. And then later that next year, it was really the start of what is now called the studio company. Mm -hmm. um, and so like you're saying, there are just so many levels. Yeah. Right. That, you know, I think. In hindsight, I wish I had stayed at Washington Ballet longer to see if I could go yeah. up the yeah. levels. Interesting, yeah. 
But at this time, I decided to give it a shot with Dance Theater of Harlem. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, back in the day, Dance Theater of Harlem was this 45-member company with international touring. And it really, uh, for me, was something that I aspired to. And um, I had tried years back um, to, to be... Um, on the path to mm-hmm. going towards Dance Theater of Harlem. And then mm-hmm. my training kind of took me to Houston and other places. Right, right. right. Um, so I jumped at the opportunity mm-hmm. um, after a year with the Washington Ballet. And so I started out in the second company at DTH. Well, unfortunately, that year the company folded. Oh, gosh. And so it's like, how long had- were you there then? Well, a whole season. I was there the whole season. Um, But But knowing that I was so young when the company folded, I stayed there and really worked for free. Yeah. Because we kept thinking the company was going to come back. back. Oh, Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. And so I left and did Nutcracker with Pennsylvania Ballet mm-hmm. because I needed some girls for Snow and Flowers. Yeah, to do that. Yeah. Then I'll come back to DTH. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Then it still wasn't going yet. So I left and danced with Ballet Black in London. They needed a girl. Then I came back. Mm-hmm. Still not going yet. Uh-huh. You know, so I it finally kind of hit me that it was going to take a while. Right. Um, and that I couldn't wait. It's around hard. that's so sad yeah. yeah um so at that point it's probably about 2005 um yeah i hear word so that funny. i remember yes so well. <laughs> <laughs> i hear word that colleen neary is starting a new ballet company um los angeles ballet and that you know they're planning to do a season primarily of balanchine repertory which is obviously my first love. (laughs) (laughs) We're with you, girl. Mm -hmm. And um, they needed a full company. And so I thought, well, this is an opportunity. This is a company that's definitely hiring. They have no one. Um, And so my best friend, Damian Johnson, uh, was going to the audition and really encouraged me to audition. And, you know, I was a little apprehensive at that point because, you know, with DTH folding, I was waiting tables at Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. (laughs) And I didn't, you know, I was taking ballet class at steps every day, but I didn't feel like I was in that type of shape anymore. Sure, sure. And so I was a little apprehensive, um, but I went to the audition and it was one of those auditions where I just knew. You know, yeah. where it, you just know this is an A day because, you know, <laughs> as a professional dancer, there's a range. Yeah. There are days <laughs> that really feel good. Yeah. And yeah. there are days that you're like, what, what is are my body? you doing? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, And so you were I, on your leg that day. I was on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Turns were happening. Legs were up. Trying. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. And so the next day, Colleen called and offered me the job. And it really, for me, was a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, it was the type of rep that I knew I wanted to dance. Um, and so I started off as an inaugural season company member there um, and danced there for four seasons. 
And it's been nice, you know, stepping back away from it and seeing how the company is still pushing forward. Yeah. But joining a company that's not established is not easy. So yeah. what so what so, were the unique challenges of that? You've danced you dance in other established companies and you danced in one that folded right after. So what like I would think that you had a lot of fear and questions of like, is this the right step to take? Yes, I think for me, I was just so happy to have the opportunity sure. to dance again. Yeah. Um, and I was still so young. I was 23. I mean, yeah. you know, then I didn't feel like I was young. Yeah. <laughs> but now I feel like that was young. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I feel like it was just one of those things that, yes, it was a risk, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I was that apprehensive right. about it. Right. You know, like you were ready to jump at it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, when I got there, I did start to recognize the challenges of being in a startup company. Right. You know, the season was only 20 weeks. Wow. You know, it's basically a nutcracker and then two all balancing programs is what we started with. Um, and then in subsequent years, it didn't really grow past being yeah. 20 weeks. Uh, you oh. know, there were no health benefits, you know, wow. with it being a startup company, mm-hmm. it was very bare bones. Mm-hmm. We we're going to get out there and try to produce some good art. Right. right. So you did have time in which you could uh explore other artistic outlets and one of those i remember hearing about at the time was um ballet identity which was something that you you helmed right you was that your idea yes tell us a little bit about it i forgot about that till you just mentioned it you know i think as a dancer you do so much and Uh you're like oh i forgot about that um well Ballet identity was really just a one-time thing. (laughs) Um, Basically, you know, we did have a lot of time off from Los Angeles Ballet. And for those of our listeners who don't know what happens during that time, there's no payment. There's no work. Like, so that means... Unemployment. Yeah, exactly. You can collect unemployment. Well, okay. (laughs) You can, (laughs) but you really need to work, right? So you're like having to find other work during that time. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to... Add that. That's a panic time. Yes. Having just 20 weeks of work is scary. Yes. And so basically, Ballet Identity was just a little pickup company. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was made up of basically dancers that were on layoff from Dance Theater of Harlem, Los Angeles Ballet. And, you know, we did basically a whole rep evening and Ted Seymour choreographed, Avi Share. It was basically our friends choreographing yeah. on us. So my goal also in doing this pickup company really was to bring professional dance to Fedville, North Carolina. Right. Um, which of course there's no resident ballet company right. there. If you want to see something, you have to drive to right. Raleigh or Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so we performed in Fedville at the Cape Fear Regional Theater, and both shows were sold out. And so it showed me that there was a hunger to see professional dance there. Um, But unfortunately, we didn't do anything (laughs) after that one time. But it was really special to Mm. bring something to Fedville. How cool is that? And I I just also think it's interesting. Like, you're still a dancer. A lot of dancers don't um, explore these things until after. But you're already 
putting yourself in a position of being a leader and having to put, mm-hmm. put the something together that had never been done before. What what was it that you found appealing about that? Why why did you feel like this was a project you wanted to do? Well, I think the simple answer is we just want it to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we received a grant from Father's Foundation, um, which was spearheaded by Dr. Mansfield in Fedville to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seemed, especially because I had friends that were choreographers, that not only selfishly for us to dance, but, but they also need to too. give, yes, to give an opportunity to mm-hmm. um, our friends like Ted and Avi that are excellent choreographers that had a great voice for mm-hmm. them to be able to work and develop their skills yeah. to have yeah. bodies to work on, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know? Did that project kind of give you a taste of like, you're talking about leadership, were you ever like, hmm, maybe I could like run a company or something like this could be interesting. This could be fun to do, have this leadership role. You know, I did always think about arts management. Mm -hmm. You know, as a ballet dancer, it becomes pretty evident. And I think also having that experience of dance theater of Harlem folding, it becomes really evident that good management is necessary. Yeah. And I think because I lived it so intimately, you know, I've always wanted to go into arts management. Um, My undergraduate degree is in business education. Mm -hmm. And then when I started grad school, I actually started working on my MBA. And after really a couple of courses, I realized this is not for me. (laughs) Um, and, And then, you know, as you both of you know, I ended up getting my graduate degree in dance education. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I always had the mindset that I wanted to be an arts yeah. leader and work really on the management side because that's where it really seems to be a deficit. We're missing, yeah. Um, but now I teach, so yeah, yeah. But it's I think it's just so great because you do have that knowledge that that. It's just, it's so often, you know, when Lourdes took over Miami City Ballet, I remember her saying this, um, I don't remember what the publication was, but it was that her goal, she thought the art itself was great mm-hmm. and she wanted the rest of the organization to match that. Right. right. That the management is on the same level mm-hmm. as, as the, the art you're producing. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that tends to be a big gap. And right. the big, I think the biggest issue is funding for that too, because they got to fund the art first because that's really the product Mm. and then sometimes that management side falls by the wayside in terms of having enough salary for those people so it's hard right and it's hard to keep them yes Mm -hmm. turnover is such a problem Mm -hmm. with ballet companies on the administrative yes exactly yeah yeah so you are still doing arts management i think i think being a teacher is definitely managing art and the future of art it's managing a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Tell us how you came here to teach. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I did my graduate degree mm-hmm. at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was at NYU, I took an arts management course that was taught by Dennis Walters, um, who's the Associate Director of Education at American Ballet Theater, mm-hmm. and also Molly Snyder, um, who's the Director of Training Programs at ABT. And, you know, because 
again, I, I have a business background from mm-hmm. undergrad mm-hmm. and everything. You know, I was excited to take yeah. arts administration. Yeah. Yeah, um, and ha- about halfway through the course, um, there was an opening for basically a coordinator for Project Plie, mm-hmm. which is the diversity and inclusion initiative at American Ballet Theater. Right. And uh, Dennis mentioned the opening um, and encouraged me to apply. And I did and ended up getting the job. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so, you know, obviously I am tremendously passionate about increasing racial and ethnic diversity in the art form. And so for me, it was like a dream job. Yeah. You know, um, so it was administrative. Mm -hmm. It was purely administrative right um and because i had a ballet background though you didn't need one for the job um, had to be helpful yeah yes it was helpful to be able to connect to the art and helping families pursue it um but it really kind of was an opportunity you know, that ABT felt because of my background to start doing some teaching artist work. And I taught in schools and Mm -hmm. for their uh, make a ballet programs and pre-performance workshops at the Met. So they tried to use my skills beyond just Mm -hmm. administrating. When you say schools, you mean like elementary public schools. Amazing. How cool is that? All over the tri-state area. Wow. Um, And so... From there, that was when I first met Julie Kent. Um, So while I was, you know, running Project Plie, she was the director of the ABT Summer Intensives, which was also a part of the education department. Um, And about a year after that um, was when she was offered to direct the Washington Ballet. Um, And she mentioned to me a unique opportunity, which is the Washington School of Ballet Southeast Campus, which is located in Ward 8, which is the lowest income neighborhood Mm -hmm. here in Washington, D.C. And for me, it was like, oh, this is like Project Plie times 10. Right, yeah. right, right. This is a With ballet teaching. company that has actually put a ballet school in an underserved community right. that happens to be predominantly African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so as she's taking leadership at the Washington Ballet, she mentioned an opening, mm-hmm. um, which was full-time faculty at the Washington School of Ballet. So that was kind of my transition here to mm-hmm. D.C., so I want to talk a little bit more about specifics um, I, uh, uh, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, because I think the same thing happens when we talk about women in ballet. You hear, especially when you get men in the conversation, <laughs> that it, it's very much like, oh, we'd love to have a black principal. We'd love to have a, a female choreographer. When they show up, you know, if they're on the level, then that they get it. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about not including people but the problem is you have to create solutions they don't these things don't appear overnight so what are some of the ways um the things that you found to be most productive in getting us towards those goals without just waiting for them to to happen right i mean you have to be strategic Mm -hmm. and i think you know in my generation 
I don't really think there was anyone precluding African-American dancers mm-hmm. from getting into ballet companies. Right. I never felt that. Right. When I, when I was auditioning right. or working, I felt that it was welcome. But it There's was no one of those it's just... things. It's like if you happen to be on the level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's access I, to training. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think what's different now is that companies are actually trying to get dancers to that level. Yeah. Right, right. And investing in ways to make it accessible yeah. for more black and brown dancers mm-hmm. to be on the level. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like now there's more strategy behind mm-hmm. it. So, for instance, at the Washington School of Ballet's Southeast Campus, the the tuition there works on a sliding scale according to income. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, well, great. Families can afford it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So now we have 333 students that's training amazing. in Ward 8 in D.C. Wow. You know, so, I mean, that's what it takes. And that's right. what was missing before. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. I don't really think that it was lack of opportunity for black dancers, but there weren't strategic ways for right. ensuring right. that more dancers were on the level. Right, right. right. Yeah. This part of the school, is it only, is it through the professional division or does there get to a point where then they transfer over to the main campus or how does it work? Yes. So we go from Mm pre-ballet to level six at the Southeast campus. Six of eight? Six of eight. Okay. Yes. Right now there's seven levels. Next year they're adding a level eight. Um, So we go through level six at Mm -hmm. the Southeast campus. And so from there, you do have to transfer um, and keep going up the ladder. But it still is accessible to them to transfer to that campus as in terms of tuition. Absolutely. That is something that we really prioritize. So Mm -hmm. for instance, this past year, I had three of my students from level six go into level seven at Northwest. And we actually received a grant Mm -hmm. that covered their tuition at the Northwest campus. So we are actively looking Mm -hmm. for ways to make sure it's still accessible. Right. That's fantastic. What a great program. So what is what have you been? We've talked a lot about teaching the three of us and with Damien, you mentioned um, when we come to D.C. So what is some of the challenges that you've come up against with teaching kind of because Michael and I talk a lot about kind of making that transfer from dancing to teaching. And I know for me, I could not do the babies. It's just too hard. I think it's like it takes a whole personality and you obviously have all of those things. So what have you kind of adjustments have you made in that way? You know, I love teaching. And yeah. I think that's first and foremost, you really got to love it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think teaching is very different now, probably, than and when we were. When Melissa Hayden was yeah, teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, our generation. I think one of the challenges for professional schools and for those of us teaching in them is that the base is much broader Mm -hmm. than it used to be. Mm -hmm. There are more children training at professional schools that want to do it recreationally. Sure. And so you find... I think a variety of body types, mm-hmm. a variety of interest level, a variety of talent level, all in the same classroom. Right. And so I think it's really um, exciting, yet challenging sure. to meet the needs of such a broad spectrum in every single level right. that right. you teach. Interesting. So it's kind of balancing that. 
it's definitely balancing that because in a classroom, you may have someone that has the natural ability and the facility for a career in dance, but maybe that's only one student in the class. And so how do you meet their needs, but then the vast majority of the students, how do you meet their needs at the same time? Right. So it it is not easy. It's a balancing act. it's, It's challenging, but I think that's one of the things I love about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that since you've, um, you know, your work at Project Plie and the work you do now, have you seen major progress in that time in um, making ballet more accessible and making it more racially diverse? And um, th- yeah, that was the question. That was the question. Yeah, just <laughs> yes, no, I'm definitely seeing progress. You know, I think to my generation, especially like at the top levels, like Mm. the professional training Mm. programs, you know, for instance, at Houston, I was the only African-American girl. Mm -hmm. And now you see a difference. Mm -hmm. You definitely see more more diversity at the highest levels of the school than in the past. Um, I think you know, with schools being strategic about making it accessible, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. more children are going up the ladder. Yeah, I think there have been a lot of external factors, mm-hmm. um, such as the visibility of Misty Copeland. Right, right. You know, you can't deny that she's inspiring more girls and boys mm-hmm. to study ballet. Great. Um, the audience is increasing in diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, just leaving the Miami City Ballet performance today the amount of racial and ethnic diversity that I saw there, this would not have been the case even maybe five years ago. So So I'm seeing it. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, Something that has been used as a sort of racially charged excuse in the past to exclude black and brown dancers is not fitting in. That in a Swan Lake, you know, how can you have the one dancer that looks different from everyone else but now we're moving past that to a point where we're finally allowing um black and brown dancers to wear tights and point shoes that reflect their skin tone rather than being forced to everyone in the pink that um is more traditional in a sense um free came out with was it three different skin tones of the of the point shoes I'm not too familiar as to how many skin tones, but yes, their new point shoe line is mm-hmm. is quite beautiful yeah. to see. It is beautiful. What sort of impact do you think that has on um, young dancers and people? Maybe how does that? How would that read differently to a, a young girl today than when first you first saw um, like a whole company doing uh, like a full length ballet? Yeah. yeah. You mean in terms of seeing? options that match their skin yeah. color like and what, what does that do to to, pr- to promote inclusion you know i think this is interesting mm-hmm. um you know for me it's something that i don't see is new mm-hmm. but i feel like a lot of people in the dance world and not in the dance world feel that it is new mm-hmm. that Freed and Gaynor Minden mm-hmm. and Capizo and all of these companies are investing in marketing mm-hmm. and in um, their product, you know, to expand, you know, their 
options for dancers of color mm-hmm. uh, to match their skin. I think what's interesting for me is that I just feel like it's not new because we had this when yeah. I was a dancer. Um, so, for instance, Lauren Anderson at Houston Ballet had special order capizio shoes that matched her skin tone. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like dancewear companies were already doing this, but it's getting publicity it's now. Getting publicity now. Yeah. Right. Um, so, for instance, when I was at Dance Theater of Harlem, we always had tights and shoes mm-hmm. that matched right. our skin right. color. Whether you, for me, I just did it myself with right. foundation, but spray some girls sprayed yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Some girls did have special orders that mm-hmm. were coming already in their skin color. So, I, it just doesn't feel new to me. Right. But I am glad it's getting publicity and that yeah. you can actually go to a dance store and buy it yeah. versus having to special order it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So I do think it's nice. Yeah. I think some dancers do really connect to that. Mm-hmm. For me, tights and shoes always just felt like part of the costume. Right. Right. So right. I don't know that I identified more with wearing pink versus something that mm-hmm. right. matched right. my skin color. Right. Yeah. Um, but I do know that it is really special for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, yeah, every person's experience is individual. So I think that's interesting yeah. that you think that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see these subtle changes come in in New York City Ballet. They have more African-American ballerinas than they've ever had in their history. It's still only three, but I watched them in Faust and it's they let them wear their hair as they would naturally, which I think in the past you would have had more of a a need, like a... Uh, pressure to conform <laughs> rather than be, you know, like it would be like you better straighten that hair. You better, right? Uh, and, or I've seen India Bradley in ballets where she is in a dark, a darker shoe that you know they are starting to open themselves up to this sort of thing that in the past I think would have been written off. I think people didn't understand that saying it's because you need to fit in is still racially charged. You're just right. Like you're pointing out something that you have no control over and saying that you don't belong for that reason. I definitely agree. You know, um, it's getting better. Um, When I was a dancer, yes, I did feel more pressure to aesthetically conform Mm -hmm. to everybody else in the court of ballet, even though my skin color was different. For instance, I chemically straightened my hair my entire professional career. Mm -hmm. That way it was super straight, like all of the Caucasian girls. Mm -hmm. And so... I never really knew my natural hair texture until I stopped dancing professionally. And so now I rock and now you have yeah. so I love and it. I love it's it. Gorgeous. I never ever knew my natural hair texture because wow. I chemically straightened my hair for so long. Right. So that would be straight to go in the buns and the French mm-hmm. twists and whatever you had to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so the fact that so many dancers are still keeping their natural texture mm-hmm. of hair in dancing in ballet companies is really beautiful to yeah. see. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. So funny. I think it made me think, well, you, it makes me think a little bit about what Lourdes and um, Virginia, we're talking about, we had a, a panel earlier today that will have been released by the time we get yours out too. <laughs> um, and they, we, they were talking about being women in the art form and then 
but coming into positions of leadership, but that maybe when you're in this position where that would have just, that wasn't even a question for you, you were just kind of more or less expected to do it. Yes. That you don't think about those mm-hmm. things. And now our the younger generation is starting to demand that sort of change. Like Virginia and Lourdes were both saying, they just wouldn't have even considered, you know, being leaders. They didn't being cross their minds. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's great that we're getting to a point on all fronts where it's a little bit more conversational about yeah. what the face of ballet can look like, what the face of a leader can look like. So, yeah. Conversations on dance, really. <laughs> Thank you so much. What a wonderful chat. We just love you. It's so good to have and you. And now we're all going to go get cocktails. Yes, that's it's time. <laughs> it's five o'clock. Oh, yeah. it's past five o'clock. Woo. We just chatted, chatted, chatted. Thank you so much, Thanks, Monica. Thanks, Monica. Thank you all. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you are new to the podcast, we invite you to click available episodes in your favorite podcast app to explore our catalog of over 140 episodes with some of the most influential people in the ballet and dance world. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. New episodes of Conversations on Dance go live every Monday. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.